0: This week on the BOAG World Show, we are once again joined by Ellen DeVries to discuss writing engaging copy. This week's show is sponsored by Resource Guru and Gather Content. Board.com, the podcast about all aspects of digital design, development and strategy. My name is Paul Boag. Joining us on this week's show is obviously Marcus and Ellen. Hello, Ellen. Nice to have you back.
1: It's a pleasure to be back.
0: Now, I want to briefly, while, while you're here, Marcus wants uh, to apologise to you. <laughs> oh. Marcus, apologise had- to Ellen. Well, I, I,
2: I had to confess uh, on the show... Uh, a couple of weeks back when Paul said Ellen's coming back on the show and I thought you know you were dead to me I'd never (laughs) uh, uh, I'd never hear from you ever again so I I ate all the chocolate you did (laughs) what? (laughs) I specifically
1: said you were to share it
2: yeah after I'd eaten it all
1: oh okay yes that is true I may have been a little bit late with that I suddenly realised that you might have eaten yeah thought that you don't anyway down, anyway
0: not back down that quickly ellen oh, <laughs> oh i said it too late that's no excuse he should have he should have had the common courtesy to share chocolate with me anyway without having to even be told uh,
2: yeah. i do i mean i i do have one further defense in the fact that i that it was me that had to sort the problem out which is the reason why you sent the chocolate in the first place, Ellen. So, I don't feel too guilty about it. Actually, I don't feel guilty about it at all, if I'm honest. Oh.
1: Maybe we shouldn't, We just shouldn't have told Paul about the chocolate. <laughs> it's yeah, just was... the fact
2: that you were coming back on the show. I thought, well, I can't ignore it now. I'll have to say something. Because <laughs> you'll say, did you like the chocolate? And Paul will say, what chocolate? And then that would be, you know. So
0: That would be even worse, wouldn't it? Yeah, I had do to it, fess up it that then. Way. Yeah, no, you did the right thing, Marcus. Well done. <laughs> I know it was very difficult for you. It You're was really boy.
2: nice, though. Thank you, thank you, thank you,
0: Ellen. Yum, yum, um, yum. I, I think <laughs> should be, mm-hmm. this should be compulsory now for all future guests. <laughs> they have to send us a present. I, I like that plan. I think we need to implement Now, changing the subject totally, Ellen, last time you were on the show, right, we didn't, didn't get a lot into what you do. Right. We talked about the fact that you're at clear left, but I've got some questions, right? Okay. Is, is that all right? If I I just want to understand a little it bit is an about... It's well, uh, like, Questions, yeah, I know, you know, that's what you do. Yeah, but, but
1: if, <laughs> I was prepared for that, I have to say. <laughs>
0: uh, you, you expected there to be questions. <laughs> I've never had, if I... Uh, this is a really embarrassing confession to make, but I've never had... Um, a proper conversation with someone that spends their life kind of writing copy for digital products and services. You know, I I know lots of people who do it, but I've never kind of asked them about it in any detail, which is a bit of a weird thing to do, and it's not not something I've ever done myself. So I'm really quite interested in... um, what kind of work you do? Is it liter- Is it just the copywriting? Are you involved in the information architecture? What's your yeah? You know, what's your average day like?
1: Well, that's a very good question. Uh, so, how how do I work? So, uh, so technically speaking, I'm not a copywriter, even though mm. writing copy is something that I do a lot of in as part of my day. Job. Yeah. So I would say that about maybe like 80% of the time. I'm actually not writing copy, but I'm helping organisations uh, to write their own copy. And yeah. in doing that, I need to often create templates or work with designers to, to, do, to give them a starting point. And then hopefully mm. they can take all of that stuff and use it as a, an example from which they can then go and do all of their own work so that's that's often with like the much bigger organizations um mm-hmm. so i find that most of the time i'm um, i'm running workshops and helping people to develop an awareness of their own language really rather than actually giving it to them
0: mm, yeah so when you talk about templates are you talking about content style guides or are you talking about a content template in terms of uh, of what content they've got to fill in the gaps kind of thing
1: um so uh well it it varies so it depends on the client as to what's going to be most useful to them but really like content because i my official job title is content strategist which Mm uh which is a very fancy (laughs) um (laughs) it basically on the one hand it means that i'm sort of um looking at like the strategy of how a content uh, uh or how content flows through a company uh like on a daily basis or across the whole year and then mm-hmm. um so that's the, the strategic end is usually sort of all the stuff that lies beneath the surface like all the people that have have to edit content or produce content along the way or um and and then the kind of templates and documents that they use to help them do that so well, mm. that, so the documentation stuff is is, um, is usually the, the template. So, so they might use tone of voice guides or
0: um, mm-hmm.
1: uh, messaging frameworks. There's a whole sort of armory of things that you can use. And then...
0: Ooh, what's a message, messaging framework? I've not come across that.
1: Okay. Um, so they can take different shapes, but quite often um, companies um, or brands have uh, lots of different channels. So they might have yeah. like... Facebook and they might have Twitter and they might have uh, telephone customer service people. Um, mm-hmm. And so a messaging framework is a thing that helps um, anybody writing content, make sure that they're getting consistent messages across all of their different channels. Mm. Um, but it can also be uh, a slightly different thing. It can be making sure that you get the right messages out to the right kinds of people um mm-hmm. depending on on where they're coming into the company from does that make sense so it's like a yeah 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 so like you might target different language at children uh from their parents for example if it's sure. like a i don't know like a game or something so yeah. uh so then you would have um completely different templates for each of the different audiences
0: uh, oh, it's, it's something I, i've got to learn so much more about this it's <laughs> something there's so much isn't there that you I, yeah, I, I struggle to keep up with everything. So these much days. you don't know,
2: Paul. Is that what you're trying to
0: say? Yeah, it's like the more the more of an expert I become, the less I seem to know. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? The longer you do it, the more you realise you don't know about it. It's, but it's a it's whole a world thing. of
1: opportunity. That's that's the way to see it. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah.
0: You'll you won't say that in another ten years <laughs> when you're as old and decrepit as me. <laughs> He doesn't so, believe his own
2: bluster as much anymore.
0: That's no, I I, that's <laughs> absolutely true, Marcus. I don't believe my own BS. So, uh, I mean, the big the big problem I always found with that kind of uh, with the kind of stuff you're talking about is convincing clients to pay for it because everybody thinks they can write, which they blatantly can't. So, I mean, do, is that is that a problem that you guys come across, or are you uh, beyond that now? Clear left.
1: Uh, well, I totally agree with you that there's a large part of the population that thinks, uh, you know, I can do this myself. And um, when I was a freelancer, uh, so I joined ClearLeft about nearly three years ago. Um, right. And uh, when I was a freelancer, I just gave up
0: <laughs> on, right. on
1: trying to convince people. And I thought, well, the better clients are the ones that know that they need all this stuff. However, yeah. uh, now I'm part of an agency uh, it's a slightly different story. So I've found that uh, the best way to get people to basically pl- like pay for content strategy is because mm-hmm. often people they might still think that they can write, but often people are willing to invest in like skills development. Uh, yeah, on the one training. hand, yeah, like mm. training and and getting their team all to like understand uh, how to write with consistency and and getting all the kind of tools that they need in place to help them do that efficiently so that's like one side of it and the other side of it is that people often feel like they could benefit from somebody coming in and just untangling like yeah your your own sense of what the story is because it's like it's when you're on the inside it's really easy just to use Mm. your own kind of corporate terminology and forget Mm. that users have a slightly different language Mm. so um, yeah so we we sort of come at it from both those different angles
0: yeah i can imagine how that works i the the, the trouble is i mean i'm I'm experiencing a great example of this at the moment you know to some degree i think i can write like most most people out there you know marcus thinks he can write because he writes proposals i think i write because i've written books and stuff but then i've just sat down i've been hired to to write um some teaching material and it's got to be much more academic in tone. And that's when you suddenly realize that, okay, I might be able to write in one medium or in one context, but that doesn't mean I can write in another one. And, and I, I, honestly, I want, I want to run away and curl up in a ball and cry because I just can't do it. And it, it's really, you know, it's that realization that um, there are so many different forms of writing in different places that just because you can write in one way doesn't mean you can write in another.
1: It's really true. And, uh, we get it often that people attempt to do like web copywriting. Um, but really, uh, they, so we, we make a big distinction between people who are subject matter experts. Uh, so once upon a time, I also had to write some stuff for, I think it was like a, um, it was like, uh, e-learning for maths GCSEs or something like that and <laughs> yeah, I'm wow. like the worst person in the world to write anything to do with maths. Maths is my least favourite subject and uh, so so the blessing was that I got to work with a subject matter expert who knew what they were talking yeah. about and so I could bring my skill of like being able to structure the content uh, in a in a kind of easy fashion and, and like between us we managed which was brilliant. Um, mm. But often people, it's not so much that people can't do it themselves because often people can do it themselves. They just need support in yeah. one way or another to help them. So, like, whether that's one-to-one, like I did with the math teacher or or having, like, some guidance or some kind of, um, yeah, a, a skills development workshop. So developing an awareness of tone of voice is, is a skill um, that you can, um, you know, get to grips with in 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 a day pretty much like Mm. understanding the importance of tone of voice um, and looking at techniques of how you can kind of shift your tone of voice around so yeah so i kind of i like to believe that people can do it themselves but they you just need to find the right people to help you
0: Yes. Yeah. It's the, it's, yes, you're absolutely right. Because, um, well, it's really funny. I've just written a, an article saying that, that we're all designers to some degree. We're all making design decisions. And, and, and sometimes people just, you know, we as professional designers need to empower people and give them the tools they need to do it better. And that's essentially exactly what you've just said. You know, it's this idea of, Yes, people can write. They just need some help and the right tools and the right structure in which to do it in a in a good way. Um, so yeah, I totally I totally agree with that. It's it's just getting them to realise that they need the help, isn't it? They, they don't always realise they need it. You know. Anyway, all of that was a massive tangent, and to be honest, I don't think we talked enough about Marcus's need to apologise to both of us for, <laughs> for eating the chocolate. But we'll we'll let it go, I suppose. Apology? How are you, Marcus? By the way, are you all right? Stressed. Oh dear! Is it end of year stress? You
2: got it. Uh, yeah. Well, end end of year now. Now pushing into January, February, and uh, uh, it's just a nightmare. Uh, yeah. So I've got nothing to add in today's conversation which is
0: you're going to just sit there and be grumpy in the corner mm.
2: um, well I, oh, that's good I, i've got a joke for the end of the show which is obviously oh, well, quite light-hearted as they're meant to be i did i wonder whether i could come up with a really dark joke for today to go with my mood oh you're
0: going to be a bundle of fun at the <laughs> christmas party then aren't you
2: <laughs> no i mustn't complain we're just very busy um and that's just life. That's the way it goes. But um, yeah, it's all. Is it, all is, is it like this at Clear Left? Uh, do all Clear Left's clients all think that there's this kind of arbitrary deadline of Christmas that things must be done before?
1: I'm not really experiencing the Christmas stress. I don't know what's going on because normally I do. Um, mm. Maybe I'm just in denial, or, um, <laughs> <laughs> or or maybe for once we've planned something like uh, so that we're not crazy. But, but yeah, it seems to be okay. Um, I don't want to speak too soon because mayhem may commence like as soon as I say that. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I'm going to keep well, my. You mask were saying
0: up. you were saying you've got quite a big project on because we we had to work out the logistics of of getting you back on the show, didn't we? So that sounds quite exciting. Something yeah. good to get your teeth into.
1: It is. It is. Um, I'm working for a large and very popular airline. Um, that, Ooh. Um, I was going to say that to international travel, but that would be that doesn't
0: <laughs> narrow it down very no, much, it does it?
1: Um, it's uh, yeah, so it's uh, the, I'm helping them uh, write all of their um, help section, uh, their sort oh, of cool. FAQs and things because there's a lot of calls coming into the call centre that mm. they don't need to be answering that they could easily answer online. So that's what I'm uh, working.
0: Oh, on that sounds them. like a good one. I it's a like the meaty of that one. one.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. Lots of... And I get to collaborate with like the user experience guys as well. So that's um really important.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely.
1: Yeah. So I um,
0: mean Yeah, because there's just enormous overlap, isn't there, between those two disciplines. I mean you can't really separate them out because content is is a vast majority of the user experience <laughs> in a lot of cases.
1: Exactly, yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: So what we're gonna we're gonna be talking about um today is the idea of getting, um, writing copy that people actually want to read. Um, now, we all know that people scan copy and don't necessarily read it all from beginning to end. But some copy is better at drawing you in, isn't it, than other copy? So that's, that's where we want to focus on today. I've dug out a few articles on the subject that, that I've read at various times um, that I found quite useful, um, the, uh, which we'll share in the show notes uh, so you can get at all of these. We've, there's um, one article uh, on 10 writing tips for more engaging content, um, which actually, believe it or not, I think if you type in engaging content on Google, you actually get that one up. So it's, it's not a hard one to to find. And then um, uh, we've also got um, a couple of posts that I've written at various times. Um, one is about, um, he, see, after me saying, oh, I really need to, oh, no, I didn't write this one. I'm off the hook.
2: <laughs> it's on my site, but I didn't write it. So
0: that's okay. Um, so uh, Andy Kinsley, who we had on the show, we were talking about SEO, didn't we? Not we long did, ago, yes. Marcus. So he wrote he wrote guest posts for for World a while back, which is eight lessons for writing compelling co- uh, content. Again, we'll link to it in the show notes. I won't try and read out the long URL here. Um, uh, but um, he wrote a really good post about different um, – well, what it says in the, on the tin, really. So eight ways of of kind of approaching um, writing more compelling content. So I would recommend you check them one out. It's a really, really good one. And then another one which I did write myself, um, which I think is quite a sobering one and quite good maybe to – um, trust me to write the depressing one, uh, quite a good one to lead into this idea of writing compelling copies um, back in two thousand and fifteen, I wrote a, a post on why you, why we 're seeing a decline in content engagement, and it mainly revolves around um, just the, the kind of content saturation that we 're seeing at the moment the, the sheer amount of <laughs> Um, content being put up out there so for example there's uh, apparently 17. this was 2015 figures so what it's like now but in 2015 17 new posts were being released every second that's 1.5 million new wordpress posts are published every day that's frightening Um, (laughs) I know it's terrifying isn't it and that content is doubling every 9 to 24 months Um, You know, the amount of content on the Internet, you just think that blows your mind, doesn't it? Um, So and obviously, you know, the amount of time that we've got available to read all this stuff is not exactly skyrocketed, is it? So it's a it's an interesting read. And 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 I kind of give a bit of a lame answer towards the end of the article, Um, but it's not the most convincing of our answers um, but you might want to check it out because because you know you, you want to be cheered up with how pointless and hopeless the whole exercise is. Yeah. So there we go. Yeah, so
2: you know, basically, what you're trying to say is don't bother.
0: No, yeah, don't bother writing content. It's a waste, a waste of, time. of time.
2: Yeah. And and Ellen is now out of a <laughs> job. job. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> oh,
0: well, I want to know
1: what the answer is. You said. Do we have to read the post to
0: find out the answer? Oh, my, my lame answer? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think what I, really the post is primarily written from a point of view of, of blogging and content marketing, which ultimately is what this season is about. Um, and the point that I end up drawing out of it is how I've because I start the post by talking about how I've seen a decline in, on BOAG world. And I know as well that that's the same across, you know, all of the major, not that I'm a major publication, but all of the major web design platforms like, you know, Creative Block or Smashing Magazine or anywhere else are all seeing a decline. And that my personal reaction to it been to, to focus more on the community side of things, the building a relationship with followers um you know and things like my slack channel and via social media and those kinds of stuff um which you know is still very much so so ellen still has a job because you're still creating content (laughs) just about until until
1: people keep writing more (laughs) content
0: yeah 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 but you know from a from but you kind of deal with social media and how you position yourself on social media as much as you do other platforms one presumes
1: yeah i think um i think Uh, I do, but, uh, well, in an ideal world, we're meant to see these things as holistically as possible, so that you're you're seeing the story as it goes from, like, one channel to the next and how people sort of bounce around between the media. So you're meant to consider all of the channels um, as part Mm. of one sort of ecosystem, really. Mm -hmm. Um, But a lot of the time uh, in the... Well, it seems just to be in the work that I've done... um, Recently, it's been much more about sort of websites and and the the, mm. the tools. They, I think, we we see them as being like the centre of the system in some ways, which is yeah. oft, often incorrect, really. Yeah, I mean, when we we worked with Penguin Books and um, before they ha- have their uh, lovely new website. Uh, they really relied heavily on social media to get a lot of their uh, messages and stories and information and marketing out there. So uh, so we didn't want to diminish that at all, but we just wanted to help the website become part of that whole ecosystem, I suppose
0: yeah it is it's very interesting the kind they should all be very interrelated to one another and what you know and users should flow from one channel to another and and content should flow from one channel to another but you're right so often it feels like social media is the uh, sorry the the website is kind of all give uh, you know all take really and that everything else is about pushing content to uh, sorry pushing users to the website um and actually uh, it, it can drive the other way as well the website has got so much potential to to lead across to social media and and to have a journey that moves between these channels I, 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 but equally you look at some social media platforms and you think you just it's just flipping press releases isn't it endless press releases yeah. being pushed out on social media which depresses me no end but anyway well,
1: like what you were saying just now about community, that's what, when, when we, you started talking about it, I was thinking, yeah, it's really, you have to just go where the community are. So if yeah. your community are on Facebook and they're likely to be there, then then actually talking to them and getting a conversation going is, is the way mm. forward, really. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: But it's funny how. Anyway, no, that's all off topic. We're going to end up start talking about social media, and I really want to get. I really want to get into um, some of the questions about creating compelling content. But before, but, do-
2: but before um, you go there, I'm, yeah. I'm noticing, which I didn't notice before. Uh, do you have a slight West Country accent, Ellen?
1: Oh, somebody. I yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> um, oh. I don't. Yeah, it's it's weird. Um, so. Yeah, my dad's Dutch and my mum's Irish And maybe something to do with the hybrid of those two If you accents, put the two together, you get West Somerset
0: Awesome <laughs> <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe
1: Somerset is like directly in the middle of Ireland and Holland <laughs> it, probably, <laughs> it probably is <laughs>
2: <laughs> Oh wow what a, I wonder what if that works you? in other places You know, so, like the yeah. middle point
0: between Spain and Finland or something <laughs> No Marcus, <laughs> no it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> it really, really doesn't. So where did you grow up then, Ellen?
1: I grew up in lots of different countries. So, uh, uh, yeah, we, we moved every three years because of my dad's work. So uh, I, I lived in Yemen for a big part of my childhood. and wow. uh, Yeah, and Ireland and then and Holland and Germany and Romania and Sudan. And we just kept on okay. moving. So, yeah.
0: Because um, I've got to say, I, I just presumed it as well. You sound Bristolian to me. Or somewhere around that. That's so interesting, isn't it? Anyway, what left field question markers? I didn't cut across the podcast at all. We're real <laughs> professionals, aren't we? No, but we're that
2: would make us all from the West Country, but we're not. So hey,
1: maybe <laughs> I'm what, maybe I'm just chameleoning into your accent
0: because
2: I
1: do yeah, that could too. Be. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It could be you could be. I, I, I don't have a Devon accent. World. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you wish you did Because you wish you lived there Because you, you know we live in the best part of the world
2: Yeah, but I'm so pleased that my parents moved out Because, yeah, because Because, there <laughs> we go can I, can I do the sponsor now? Oh, yeah,
0: if you have to
2: People, people because, are much I more mean,
0: interested they... in West Country accents, surely No, because it's a good and relevant Relevant <laughs> sponsor Which is more than your waffle about West Country is Okay uh, So it's Gather Content Who's been supporting the entire season. And Ellen, you've done done stuff with them, haven't you? You've written a book and and things. Yes. Aren't they based in your part of the world as well, aren't they? Uh, Well,
1: one of them is. I think they're uh, distributed all over the place. Um, But uh, James uh, Deer, he he lives down here. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's it's James I've been mainly talking to. That's why I got that impression. So, gather content is such a good tool for um, getting and managing the content um, that you need for your websites, your apps, your social media campaigns whatever um, and let 's be honest doing that is is a pain in the neck most of the time and, and probably the most horrible part of any any project is is extracting content um, so uh, I in particular tend to work on a lot of very content heavy websites and you can almost guarantee that it's that the that it's gonna be content production that's gonna cause the delays. Um in fact, in my experience it's been the single biggest barrier to delivery in a lot of um situations, which is why I get on so well with Gather content and find it such a useful tool. Um, It was actually born out of um, an agency that just got frustrated with the experience of getting content, so decided to do something about it, which is always the best product, isn't it? Scratching your own itch. Um, They're a really nice group of people. They're really open and responsive, incredibly helpful. Um, And they've now got thousands of teams worldwide um, uh, that they help to organize uh, content and produce website content for. Um, So it's perfect for website redesigns, new website builds, new website content sections new faqs as as ellen is currently working on they've got a 30-day free trial you don't need a credit card or anything like that um go and try them out for yourself at gathercontent.com com forward slash boag world okay so as we've already established we're talking about um how to make content more engaging how to get it to stand out from the crowd We've learned that actually we're all doomed because there's far too much content out there already, but most of it, thankfully, is pretty rubbish. Um, so how do you get your content, Ellen, to stand out? How do you, you know, create content in such a way that it's engaging and compelling? There you go. There's a nice, easy question. If you could just sort that out for us, that would well,
1: here, here is the definitive answer, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, uh, yes. right. so, so that's that's a big old question yeah I, I, <laughs> uh, now i've read it back it looked fine when i wrote it down but now i actually said it out loud i realized that that's maybe asking a bit much but uh, you're gonna, yeah. you, you've said I'm you're gonna, gonna answer it so I'm, gonna have a go. I'm gonna i suggest you keep it to go. yourself ellen
2: or the, the, the real <laughs> answer anyway
0: yeah, yeah just give I us will. the watered down one
1: <laughs> have you got an hour so um but there, there is this really cool activity that i do with uh, my clients Oh, so, yeah, um, and I love doing it because it's so revealing. So, um, for example, uh, uh, we worked with a school recently and uh, and we wanted to make sure that they they stood out from the crowd because it's a highly compet it's a private school. So there's quite yeah. a lot of private schools around. And uh, apart from sort of results and things like that, it, it was, um, yeah, it's quite challenging to make a school stand out against all the other schools. Yeah. So we, so I went uh, through all of the kind of uh, competitor schools and mm-hmm. uh, basically uh, stripped out the little um, bits of copy from their about page where they go, we are a school who believes in integrity and personality and whatever, whatever schools believe in. So I, I went across all the competitor websites and took out that text and basically put it into a, a, a presentation deck um, one one piece of copy per page without any branding across it, so that uh, you can. Basi- I know
0: where this is going. Mm-hmm. This is going to be great. Sorry, sorry. Carry oh, no, <laughs> on.
1: I hope it is going to be great.
0: Nowadays. I'm grinning from ear to ear. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so basically, and then I put theirs in there as well, their existing one. So basically, you print out all of those um, slides, and and it's just bare text. So and I put them out in front of the people, uh, like on the table, and uh, you can see really clearly. Uh, without any kind of visual branding how people's tone of voice is like falling down and how it's Mm -hmm. how they're managing to differentiate themselves or not managing or how they're like either you know sounding too pretentious or or Mm -hmm. not pretentious enough so it makes that tone of voice really really explicit to the school Mm. um or to like whatever whoever uh you do it with um, but they also sometimes don't even know that their own text is in there as well. Yeah, that's what so, I
0: thought was uh, that's where I thought you were going with it. Yeah. <laughs> They're all the same or so, um, you know got very similar.
1: Yeah, and people love taking a red pen to things. so it's a perfect mm. way to get people to say exactly what they don't want and yeah. then and then out of that you build. But the great thing about that is that you learn um, or I learn or they learn um, what the the major kind of differentiators are and what your values are as a result of saying what you don't or what you're not you learn mm. more about what you are so yeah it's a good that's really interesting
2: think. go on Marcus sorry I was just saying do you think that there there's a difference between what people say to you in workshop situations and what they actually really want I found that on a few occasions and that sort of people they, they may become a little bit more left field in the workshop and and then you have to kind of dig down a bit deeper and maybe over the next few weeks you'll you'll realize that you know this kind of cool thing they wanted really wasn't them and it's not their brand is that something that you suffer from in in the content world
1: um i find that quite often with startups um so if I'm working on a brand that's really new and they don't really know themselves because they're still making up their story effectively, it's uh, really hard in a workshop situation to like get the definitive answer out of them. Um, I think... And so, yeah, you can decide one thing in the room one day and then they sort of take it out of the room and wear it a little bit. I, I often say yeah. to people, it's a little bit like putting on a new coat just to see how it fits. Mm. And then like they might take it outside of the workshop and five hours later be like, Uh, that wasn't as comfortable as we thought it was going to be and then like Mm. and then you but that that's really more often that's to do with the fact that the story is so young and and you can't really kind of articulate the culture yet because they don't have a culture yet because it's such early days
0: okay The, the other thing that i find happens a lot you know when you do exercises like that yeah, where you compare the competitors is everybody just kind of blurs together into the same homogenous thing that everybody i mean we do a lot of work in higher education and they all say the same thing right they all say things like um we care deeply about the student experience yeah and a little exercise that that i always do with them is say if you reversed that statement would any university on the face of the planet say the opposite yeah right you know, oh, we all care deeply about experience. Is there ever going to be a university that says we don't give a shit about the student experience? <laughs> <laughs> Even if it might be true, <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and that, so if if you can't if if you can if there's not going to be anybody that could take the opposite opinion or a radically different opinion, then you're not really expressing an opinion, are you? You're not really standing out because you're just saying the same as what everybody else is going to say.
1: Yeah, totally. It's to be avoided. I think that's a really good way of doing it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, uh, yeah, a big part of it. It, uh, Is there any more little exercises like that that you do? Because I'm always fascinated by the little exercises people do in workshops. Sorry, that wasn't a question that I gave to you beforehand, was it? So. That's
1: okay. No, no, that's fine. Um, yeah, no, I well, I love running workshops, so I've got my mm. sort of, like, my toolkit. Um, but there's, yeah. uh, uh, there's a really nice one, actually, that I only just started doing um, maybe in the last year or two. Um, there's a, it's called Archetypes for Branding. There's this book, and it's, like, a, a beautiful deck of cards that are uh, wonderfully designed. They look like tarot cards. Um, And it's just such a a refreshing activity. So you sort of set up the room and you lay out all these cards and they're all archetypal characters. Um, And the idea is that uh, the client uh, looks through all these archetypes and narrows them down to really think about uh, what kind of character they're portraying to their users. So, um, and, and it's more about, it's less about, defining your own archetype because that in itself isn't all that useful but it's more about the conversations that people have so they'll say oh we're not a magician but we're a little bit more like a detective because and then when it's the stories they set they tell uh, when they're choosing the cards. It's like, well, we're a detective because we like go into people's offices. And I don't, I don't I'm trying to think of an example of it. A- yeah, I
0: know what you mean. Yeah. That's that is so similar to an exercise that um, Headscape does, isn't it, uh, Marcus, uh, Marcus? With the famous person thing. Yeah, although I've kind of dropped
2: that recently because I found that it's too hard to do because it's the kind of exercise that you don't want to spend hours on. Uh, mm. And you can, I think people. What I found is that people end because it's open. People end yeah. up just saying anything that kind of just about vaguely fitted. But what I really yeah. like about this, and I'm currently on Amazon buying them, is that you're <laughs> is that you're you're making suggestions because you're not like you know, Pick a famous well, person. Explain
0: explain what the famous person exercise
2: is. Sorry, yes, I, I should say that. But basically, what, what we used to it was what one It's to do with do with trying to understand the character of the of the client or the client's brand and the, the idea is that if if you can come up with a famous person that everybody recognizes we had one where they picked joanna lumley which was perfect and that that really worked it basically gives us as designers or ellen as or uh, somebody somebody who writes copy uh, to think that the, the 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 character of what they're designing or they're writing about would be around Joanna Lumley, who everyone in the UK knows who that is and knows what they're they're about. But what I found is you ended up kind of a lot of the time, as I just said, people just go, oh, I can't think of anything. So we'll go with that. And it was like, I'm not sure of the value of this anymore. so So I've dropped it lately. But maybe,
1: um, because there's another activity that could uh, relate to that, and maybe this is a way of of, uh, doing it again, is um, uh, printing out lots of pictures from like the BP National Portrait Awards. So it's basically like a a massive kind of... um, Selection of of images of people with lots of different characters, so you 've got mm. the kind of like you know um, bold, upright people or, or young, playful mm. children so so uh, and I think also something about them being paintings um, is, is a, makes for um, uh, people using their imagination a little bit more rather than it just being like stock photography or, or images of people who like are famous or exist, so yeah. maybe that's something. Yeah,
2: definitely. I mean, we had too many Barack Obamas and Stephen Fry's and yeah, yeah. it just ends up. It's like we do another um, exercise. I am going off on a tangent here and it's to do with design. Um, We covered it in the last series. Actually, Lee came on uh, to talk about where where, where we're trying to get the character of a design from an aesthetic point of view. Um, there is a point to this, by the way, uh, where, we, where we ask people to kind of, rather than thinking about kind of website design buttons and navigation and that kind of thing, we, we ask them to design a reception area um, for, for their organization. And have various questions around that. What would the walls be like? What would be on the walls? You know, blah, 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 all this kind of thing. And you do get an awful lot of it's bright and airy and clean and uh, all that kind of thing. But what we found with that one is it it is a worthwhile exercise because what you've got to kind of look look for are the things you're not expecting. Um, so so mm. I'm, when I'm going through the exercise, summarising after the, uh, sorry, I'm summarising the exercise after they've done it. I'm really looking out for those kind of. Oh, I wasn't expecting that, and we'll kind of focus in on those words afterwards. So,
0: yeah, I'm gutted. Attention. I'm gutted. They're not available anymore. Those cards, architects are, uh, branding card deck. No way. Oh no. I'm looking
2: on.
1: I'm,
0: I'm looking on Amazon, and they're uh, currently unavailable. Well, it's because
1: they're so popular. Oh, maybe
0: oh, that's oh, yeah. um, that's hmm. really annoying. But I, yeah, they might reappear. There's there's it seems to be quite a big thing. There's there's loads on about it. Isn't there? Wow, there's a yeah. whole book. There's a book. Yeah, the there's book. a book.
1: Yeah. I, personally, I haven't read the book. I just use the cards.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, I don't blame you. Yeah, yeah. never read, <laughs> never they... read the instructions. No, no, yeah. Just look at No, you uh, <laughs> don't want to do that. You probably you find out it's to do with devil bro- worship.
1: <laughs> probably, yeah,
0: absolutely nothing whatsoever. What have I advocated at all? Anyway, well, that's guy like that That's that's very good. So, yeah, okay. It's a follow-up question, right? When. One of the big problems when you're trying to write compelling co- um, content is that you, you traditionally, if you look at other mediums and you want to draw someone in and you want to excite them and get them into it, you, you, you kind of there is a rhythm and a flow to the copy, isn't there? Where, where you kind of build up to a crescendo and you, you know, where you do the and this is why this is the best whatever it is in the world and you kind of lead into it. Yeah. But when you're dealing with the web, people scan. Copy. they don't really read it they're jumping around and that how the hell do you deal with that when it comes to writing something that's compelling and engaging
1: yeah so we had a big discussion around this uh when we were writing our case studies for the clear left uh website mm-hmm. uh because uh, we were well so we've got some users that are be, would be more inclined to sit and read a good long case study and there are others mm-hmm. that just really aren't interested in or haven't got the time and they just want to, like, go in and pick out the bits that they think are interesting. Um, mm. So it was quite a challenge because how do you structure a piece of text to so that it sort of flows on the one hand and has a story, as case studies inherently do, but also cater for people that scan uh, text? So, yeah, basically, my, uh, my great philosophy <laughs> is uh, chunking. It's basically all about chunking. and and it's a word that I say day in day out Um, and so chunking is basically uh, about dividing pages into chunks of text uh, and giving those chunks of text logical and leading subheadings so Mm -hmm. unlike in the newspapers where uh, headings are kind of like catchy and have puns in them and and are like oh that's clever it's uh, my philosophy is all about clarity really um, so the clarity is the first thing, and then if you can zhuzh it up a little bit, then go ahead.
0: <laughs> zhuzh it up, I love it. Is <laughs> that like a professional term there? <laughs> just just to check.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know how you spell that. Um, yeah, Ooh, so-, so as
2: content Ooh. expert, I've got to come in on that. Like, how do you spell oh, alpha? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like spelling bee.
1: <laughs> All right, go for it. No, 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 it's not. I'm just, I'm just
2: being silly. It's like it's silly words. Uh, somebody said to me the other day, short for pleasure, treasure, they said "pleasure treasure," and I thought, how on earth do you spell that? pleasure Still don't trege. know.
1: What's, tre- What's plage, short for pre-
0: thing. pleasure treasure? Short for pleasure, treasure. That's p- not a, I, I don't, it, just Shut up, Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> just shut up
2: and stop speaking. <laughs> I'm in a chatty mood today. This, I'm okay. not in a, in a happy mood yeah, in Yeah, you've, you've
0: cheered up. Ellen has cheered you up. Yes. <laughs> so uh, next question there uh, yes yeah, so chunking I, chunking. I totally it's yes. he's just it's he's just fl- destroying the flow of this this is supposed to be a professional interview anyway yes. I wanted to ask you see the other problem that I find really um difficult is some some subject matter isn't the most interesting isn't it some of the clients you get you know they're not like interesting <laughs> you know isn't what they it? do and that kind of yeah. thing How how do you deal with that? How do you go about making something more engaging or compelling than perhaps it naturally is without kind of just lying? (laughs) You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, it's a challenging one, I guess. uh, Yeah, uh, once upon a time, I had uh, I was running a blogging workshop, and it was one of those workshops that anyone can come to. You know, companies send their uh, marketing. Uh, person to come and learn yeah. about blogging, kind of thing, and uh, and this woman arrived and she said, "I have to write a blog about door hinges." <laughs> <laughs> so it was basically like a building materials company, and and they specialised in hinges for doors and yeah. garages. And I was like, "Wow, that's really that's challenging." So um, yeah, <laughs> but I think uh, even when it's door hinges. Uh, I think that people really notice an effort to make something um, that you're writing about more lovable. So, uh, uh, well, like, for example, I was looking um, online for printer ink uh, a while back, and uh, I noticed how very boring the subject of (laughs) buying printer (laughs) ink is yeah because every company has put a a good lot of effort into seo you know getting the keywords so that printer ink and their printer ink company comes at the top of the listing but uh, but then like what actually made me want to buy the ink more was that some of the companies like had interesting names so uh, or or they put a little bit of effort into their copy and made it a little the tone of voice mm. so it's a bit like moo cards you know that inherently mm-hmm. the the business of business cards is really boring but moo just did this genius thing where they just uh uh used amazing design and lovely copy and and lots of kind of lovability uh to to completely make their brand stand out against the crowd um so yeah with printer ink you know if you like call it i don't know what's a good name for a printer ink company uh inky inky Pinky ink.
0: <laughs> Pinky ink. That's not bad for a spur of the moment one. I'm quite impressed with that. Well done. But
1: you know that it's little things, that uh, little efforts to make that make mm. you completely differentiate. It's mm. it's a hard thing to do though if you've got a dry subject matter.
0: Yeah, I know. I mean, I'm I'm, uh, you know, some there's some companies that seem to to really get that of adding personality around their brand. Um you know, and and some that that, that don't. I mean some of the techniques I see, yes, it, it can be adding a little bit of humour or a little bit of character. I mean um for example, you know, Melchimp and and Freddie or Moo Yes. Um, even something like Firebox, I always, I love their copy. You know, they've always got a bit of humor in it, but you can't always go down the humor route, I guess, because it's not always appropriate or, or right for a particular brand. But something like that door hinges example, I always think sometimes it's about talking around the subject, especially when it comes to blogging. So instead of talking directly about hinges, you talk about, you know, house renovations or you know the things that kind of sit around the product which you're selling does that make sense
1: yes and it also comes back to what you were saying before about building up your community around that product Mm. so if it is door hinges then you're you need to be specific about who your community are so are you um are you trying to appeal to builders or are you appealing who is it that buys the door hinges and give Mm. them whatever they need to hear in order to make uh, them think that you are the experts and and the people who care the most about door hinges ever.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And a, I also, you, sorry, sorry. sorry. But it strikes me slightly odd why you would ever want to write a blog about door hinges in the first
1: place. Yeah.
2: Hmm. There is actually well, a very interesting thing about door hinges. I won't go there because I've already had no many <laughs> tangents. But there is. Yes. <laughs>
0: You know, I mean, we'll a lot of the time. Th- no, we won't. It'll be a secret forever. Perhaps he'll reveal it on the Christmas special at the end of the season. That probably isn't going to be very special, but there you go. um Because I plan nothing. No, I mean, so, so oftentimes it's around SEO, isn't it? People think, oh, if we blog, then we're going to get SEO traffic on yeah, door hinges. Yeah. I'm yeah. not always sure it works like that, but anyway. Um. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, is it, you talked about chunking earlier as a way of, of kind of dealing with that problem that people are scanning. But is there any other particular approaches you use for kind of structuring the content that you're producing in order to make it more engaging and accessible to people? Or is, is chunking your go-to thing? I mean, what about things like front-loading? Where do you stand on that of, you know, instead of in traditional um, uh, marketing, you would maybe build to the offer? Around, you know uh, rather than go in and immediately say what it is you're going to offer. But way on the web, when you front load stuff, it's a bit different. Do you know what I'm getting at there? I do. That even makes yes, sense? I
1: do. Yeah. So I think it completely depends on the context, and it depends on the, the kind of story that you're trying trying to tell. So by context, I mean if you're in a FAQ section or somewhere where you're just looking for information, then front loading would be really important because people want to get their information and then they want to go. Um, mm. So. Uh, whereas if you're reading a medium article for example then it, it's it's uh you might want to kind of do a bit of uh, what we call foreshadowing so at the mm. beginning of of your story you'd say uh ah, and well like what you did about the door hinges is like you might get to hear about the door hinges in the ah. christmas special <laughs> that that there was foreshadowing yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so so basically that if you're trying to tell a, a compelling story and you're hoping to string people all the way along until the end or until the next episode, then uh, then you wouldn't obviously front load with the punchline. So you have to uh, write your story according to what your user needs are really Uh
0: it's interesting that you raised, you mentioned story there and i hear that all the time right oh you know storytelling it's a, way, a great way of engaging people and drawing people in and you know you need to tell a story but what does that actually mean in practice you know in terms of how do you how do you write a story you know when you're talking about door hinges
1: yeah <laughs> okay um all right
0: the door hinges example might be a bit bit too tricky but you know do you know what i'm getting at yes people say it but they never go into any detail about what that means in practice
1: no it's very mysterious isn't it it's yeah. Uh, so yeah i have a bit of a thing about this storytelling because you've got two two in my view I, you've got two ways uh of telling a story so the traditional like since the beginning of time uh uh, since people were sitting around campfires and, um, you know, practically mm. just grunting at each other. The earliest form of story is uh, this kind of hero's journey, uh, mm. which is basically uh, a person who overcomes uh, an obstacle in order to uh, achieve something and then uh, likely gets married at the end. So, like, you've got a hero that's called on a mission to go and, like, save a village and then has to go and fight a bear because the bear's mm. in front of the village, and then they save the village, and then they get married. <laughs> so that's like the earliest and most basic form of storytelling. And there's something about our human brains that is wired to kind of light up when we hear a story. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same with the archetypes we were talking about earlier. So when you recognise a character, when you recognise that someone has magical powers, you're like, "Oh, magician, that's it. That's interesting. I know who that person is, and I know that I want to... Uh, Hear what their story is so uh so that's in the oldest form we're used to like uh books and and linear stories so um you know that you start a book at the beginning and you read it all the way to the end mm. but then now you've got digital storytelling which completely blows everything out of the water <laughs> right um, because like a digital story is no longer a linear thing because you can't account for uh, where your users are arriving uh, and uh, and looking at you know at where where your users are are first sort of touching your story, um, yeah. and where they're going next. You can do lots of things like user journey mapping and make sure that you're serving up like the right piece of story along the way. Um, but it's just not linear anymore. So instead. I think it's more about this idea of having um, a consistent set of uh, like m- principles or qualities or uh, attributes or um, like your brand language. So making sure that every one of your channels, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or or your website or the the uh, work that people are doing out in the field or the people are on the phones, that they're all uh, telling a similar story about your brand so that you're just developing that consistency so that it's not like one person out there uh like uh being rude to someone and then (laughs) you know and then on the website it it says like we are the friendliest brand on earth so yeah it's uh it's much more about building or sort of weaving this kind of whole tapestry rather than just like uh, the hero's journey from start to finish
0: that makes a lot more sense. Uh, you know, I, I can very much get that. It's about creating a consistent narrative, a consistent image of your brand and your company and how how they're viewed by the world. In, in the same way as, you know, uh, this podcast gives a certain image of the work that I do and who I am and what it'd be like to work with me and, you know, alongside my blogging. And it all has got a similar flavor to it for want of a yeah. better word yeah okay well I, I let's do one last question and, and just your top the, what's the one mistake you see people making most when writing to the web that just bugs the crap out of you i'm giving this is therapy for you now get it off of your chest have a little rant um and what people can do about it
1: uh i think that uh, the biggest thing is leaving the content writing till the last mm-hmm, minute. Yeah, and it like just not having enough time, and you've got four days before launch, and you know mm-hmm. half the content isn't there. Yeah, <laughs> so it's uh, which is very painful for everyone concerned. Yeah. So yes, and so in an ideal world, if you're gonna create any kind of web presence. Uh, start with content and that's not content in its polished most beautiful form it's i like to think of like your content writing a bit like clay or you know like artists like they just they just like uh get a lump of clay and then they stick it Mm -hmm. in front of them and then they like sit and look at it a while and they're like then they start poking holes in it and they're like okay well this could be a head and this could be feet and it's the same with content. You just like get all the lumps of um, material and words and uh, and sort of bundle them all together and look at what you've got first. It doesn't have to be mm. in any formal format, and then start designing and start working with it and and moulding it as you go,
0: rather mm. than like
1: uh, the the opposite, which is basically to just create buckets and then expect someone to pour like content <laughs> magically into it. Um, by the time you're done. So. I talk
0: about that. I've got um, a blog post that we we'll are link to in the show notes about... Um the process of, of I, I talk about it from a UI design point of view of, of, of iterating and improving UI design but in that I talk about as you prototype you should be evolving the design but you should be evolving the content and the copy as well so that yes. to begin with it might just be a load of pages you know, that you know, know you've got to create with just a bullet point list of the questions you're going to answer on that page and then you might add in a few bullet points of how you're going to answer each of those questions then you might throw in in, um, maybe a link off to the old site that had some, um, uh, you know, uh, some answers to that particular question. Or you might grab some some rough-and-ready copy and you kind of, you like you say, mould it over time rather than, okay, I'm going to sit down, there's a, there's a flashing cursor on my blank page, and now I'm going to write perfectly wonderful copy. You know, it's, it's a much better way of doing it because it takes off that pressure of, oh, I have to produce something perfect straight out of the gate. Totally. Anyway. Mm. Cool. Let's just quickly talk about our, our second sponsor, um and then we will i'm going to very quickly rattle through some apps before we wrap up wrap up the show so resource guru is our second uh, sponsor hopefully after listening to all that we've heard today um you're excited about maybe spending a little bit more time in creating the quality content um that your your site deserves and maybe taking a step back and looking at style guides and brand um and all of those kinds of things but before you can do that you first of all fig- need to figure out how you're going to fit that into your work schedule um and- And um, you you probably, you may or may not know whether you've got spare capacity over the next month. Do you know if you've got um, people available to work on this kind of stuff? Do you need to bring in a freelancer to help you with it? Do you need to hire Ellen? Um, so project planning is hard, and it's even harder if you don't have the right tool for the job, and spreadsheets and legacy systems don't often cut it. They're all a bit rubbish, really, and that's where something like Resource, Resource Guru can come in. Um, it gives you an accurate, up-to-date view of the big picture of what's going on, who's busy, who's available, who's away from work, all that kind of stuff. And when things change, which they inevitably do, you can just drag and drop the, um, what people have booked in around, and you can reschedule things, and, um, so everybody instantly Knows They also, everybody in your team instantly knows when you've made updates and changes. So you can be confident that your products will be on track. You've got time to do what you need to do. It's used by a load of different companies from Apple all the way through to the measly headscape. Um, (laughs) You can start your free trial by going to resourceguru.io forward slash BOAG world, where if you just use the coupon code BOAG2017, you'll get 20% off the lifetime of the account, which I just think is awesome. Um, I was just going to mention a few tools before we wrap up um, that I use when it comes to, to writing and copy for me. But I want to caveat all of these tools before I mention them, um, because they're all kind of tools that help assess and improve your writing. Um, and because they're all automated tools, it means that they are potentially all a bit shit. Um, Because nothing replaces a real human um, spending time, you know, analyzing and thinking about um, your writing. But they are useful. Um, One that I find really useful is something called um, Co-Schedule Headline Analyzer, uh, which helps you write better headlines. Now, it gives you a score and all that kind of crap, which may or may not help you. But but I think what it does is just by simply getting into the habit of, of running your headlines and your titles and your section headings through a tool like this, it makes you pause and think about your headlines, right? And to put a bit of effort and thought into them. Also gives some good advice about how to write some more compelling headlines um, and points you in the right direction, but nothing more than that. Um, another tool that, that I use a lot these days is Grammarly. Um, because my grammar sucks and my spelling sucks. And especially because I'm not particularly experienced in writing in different styles. Grammarly, you can set to, to check your work in different styles. So for example, as I said earlier, I'm doing some academic writing at the moment. So I've switched it to acad- academic writing. And it's now pulling me up on a load of things that previously it used to let me get away with. Um, So I find that quite a helpful tool just to kind of guide me through. And the other one that that I've mentioned um, back in the day is something called Hemingway. The Hemingway app tool um, has got a lot of drawbacks to it. it. It doesn't necessarily encourage the best writing in the world. But what it does do, which I like, is it encourages you to be concise and to the point and focused in your writing. Um, so I'm not claiming these tools are magic tools that are going to, you know, turn you into a, a wonderful writer, but I think they at least make you stop and think about your writing rather than just plowing on regardless. Um, the trick is not to get not to get so hung up on the tools you write to make the tools happy rather than writing to make the user happy is that fair because normally you tell me off Marcus when I start banging on these tools did I sufficiently caveat their role uh,
2: yes I, 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 I think for, for those people who are nervous about coming up with copy or anything like that they can be useful when I had to turn Grammarly off it just I mean I, I, as you know I've written about Hemingway and how much I don't like it Grammarly is better <laughs> Um, but it just, it's like this thing just tapping on the side of my head all the time. So I just had to (laughs) to turn it off. Go away. So, but, But, so do
0: you actually, write? ah, that's interesting. So you were writing in Grammarly as you went? No, no, you you can,
2: you can, uh, you can pop it into your browser. Um, and you know, if if you're writing a blog post directly in WordPress, it's there Annoying you while you oh, it Oh no! I was <laughs> no
0: no 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 I, I you know I would write it and then pass it through a tool like yeah. that because um, yeah. otherwise you would want to kill it. Yeah. You know because yeah. What do, Ellen? What do you think of these kinds of tools? Because I am torn over them, um, but sometimes they, I find them useful just because it makes me pause and think.
1: I I personally I don't use them, uh, but I can definitely see the value in using them. Yeah. There was one tool that uh, somebody uh, introduced to me, and now I've, I've briefly forgotten the name of it. Um, but it's basically a tool that if you stop writing for long enough, it erases your text.
2: Oh yes, yes I've heard that. of that. I mean,
0: yes,
1: which, that's,
0: that's just which so evil. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: there's
1: a there's a guy in our office, Ben Sauer, and he's he's writing a blog. I think uh, so. He's challenged himself to write a blog. Uh, I think it's called Slapdashery. Uh, dot something i uh, sorry i can't remember any words now but um and he's he's basically writing this blog with this tool uh, so he just doesn't stop writing um yeah he has an that would terrify me. it is terrifying yeah so it's mm. quite nice to do these things as a challenge sometimes and and just to come at things from a different it freshens things up a bit but yeah, yeah i'm i think maybe i'm too scared
0: <laughs> you're scared of what it'll say it might yeah. undermine your confidence yeah well, your own it. abilities yes it can and it can do that actually these tools do have a little bit um of that that kind of impact on you so yeah you do need to be a little bit careful do you blog ellen
1: uh i don't well yes no i'm lying
0: <laughs> <laughs> i
1: I don't have my own personal blog i did uh but i often spend more time blogging for the clear left site so occasionally ah, okay. I write a medium article or sometimes I blog because people have asked me to blog on their, you know, for their site or for a particular yeah, thing. So that's mm. what I spend most of my time writing, and then I like articles, like NetMag article and things like
0: yeah. that. So it's a bit of a bit of a busman's holiday for you, isn't it? Really, kind of running <laughs> your own blog.
1: Yeah, I suppose I spend so much time writing elsewhere that by the yeah, then I've run out of steam <laughs> when it comes to my <laughs> own blog.
0: I don't blame you. That sounds eminently sensible.
1: On my phone, I have like a a bullet point list of like all the blogs that I may one day write. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. it might happen.
0: You never know. These things happen. So Mm. um, if you want to find out more about Ellen, um, you can check her out on Twitter at, um, how on earth am I going to say that? I'll spell it. Um, So her Twitter ID is E-L-D-E-V-R-I. Um, you also might want to check out the book that she wrote on collaborative um, content production for Gather Content, um, which is CollaborateBook.com. Anywhere else people should check you out?
1: Uh, the Clear Left site. Uh, there's quite oh, a yeah. bit of my writing on there. Yeah.
0: That's a good one. So that's ClearLeft.com. Um, next week, we're going to talk about Email um uh as we draw towards the end now we're getting towards the end of this season um so this is number nine and there's 11 in total so two more to go see Ooh. i could do maths on the <laughs> fly i know right marcus what's your joke wait well, you can have a joke or you can have
2: what's interesting about door hinges
0: oh go on Ooh. tell us what's interesting about door hinges then
2: well if the, the distance from the top of a door to the top door hinge is about half what it is from the floor to the bottom one. So every door is basically providing you with an optical illusion to make it look like they're the same distance. Why?
0: What? why uh, why do they do that
2: so that it if you if you make it so that they're equal so the distance mm-hmm. between the top of the door and the top hinge and the, is the same from the floor to the bottom hinge it looks wrong it looks like the bottom hinge is too close to the floor because
0: it depends because of the angle from which you're viewing it yeah wow, wow. There you go. That's that is quite interesting. That's a kind of QI type of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll give you that. It, it certainly it's better than the joke. Let's put it like that. Let's leave it with that. Okay, Ellen. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank, thank you, dear listener, for joining us too. It's good. Um, good to uh, uh, catch up again. Ellen. And uh, we'll talk again to everybody else next week. Thank you very much. And goodbye. Bye. BuzzRub.com BuzzRub.com Budrak.